0: Hi, and welcome to On & Off, our podcast covering the on-premise and off-premise beverage alcohol industry. I'm Melissa Dowling, editor of Cheers.
1: I'm Kyle Swartz, editor of Beverage Dynamics Magazine. Today, we're going to be doing a recap of the Beverage Week alcohol industry event that our parent company held recently in June in Orlando.
0: Beverage Week included the Cheers Beverage Summit on-premise beverage executives. You can
1: start that over if you want.
0: (laughs) Now, why bother? Um... Embark, the beverage alcohol retailer conference for liquor stores, wine shops, and so on, as well as a new concept called Activate, which was for all three tiers of the beverage alcohol industry. And we have a special guest today. Kyle, tell us about our special guest.
1: Our special guest is Jamie Stafford, our editorial associate. Jamie, how are you doing?
2: Great. How are you guys?
1: Very good. Jamie was oh, down great. at uh, Beverage
0: Week. Yes. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> is that me?
0: Or were you? <laughs> I was, indeed.
2: Indeed. <laughs> Um, This was actually my first beverage week, my first summit with the company, and it was a great learning experience. It was also really good connecting with all of our sponsors. So it was a great time.
1: A beverage week went very well. And, you know, for uh, any listeners who are unfamiliar, this was a number of days of beverage, alcohol, retail and on-premise education opportunities. We had a whole bunch of seminars. We had a lot of hands-on experience. We had some off-campus events. We had our top 100 awards at the end of the event. We did a whole lot of great education and networking, a lot of opportunities for beverage alcohol professionals.
0: So interestingly, I barely saw you guys the whole time there because you were doing the, um, Kyle was doing the Bark and I was on the CBS side and Jamie was kind of all over the place, but mostly at at the Bark stuff. So I really don't know anything what happened on Bark. So why don't you give me some highlights?
1: Sure, you know, right off the bat, you know, we, we do the surveys at the end of every single seminar. And what was interesting to me is that my highest rating of all the panels and seminars I hosted, my highest rated one was my cannabis one. Um, I had uh, Paul Haleco and Few Spirits, and he's also a cannabis investor now, and Carrie Jordan, of, uh, she is from a cannabis firm. And we were talking about cannabis and CBD beverages, and, you know, Paul made a really good point that there's billions of dollars in sales out there right now in cannabis beverages or at least coming up. I don't know if it's gotten to a billion yet, but they're coming up. And, you know, you're missing out on that money if you're just allowing those to go to the, um, the, the dispensaries as opposed to the retail alcohol businesses. You know, the, the market for cannabis beverages is forecasted to grow exponentially. People like these products because, you know, you can drink them. Uh, it's not as conspicuous as, you know, let's say lighting up a joint or some other form of flour uh, in public. They're a bit more easy to control. That is the high that you get off of them. They tend to be lower potency as well. You know, we're talking about two milligrams versus let's say whatever whatever you get off a of flour, you know, edibles, which you know, tend to be five to 15 milligrams. The highs tend to come on a little bit faster and go a little bit quicker, uh, perhaps more along the lines of a buzz that you get off of a beverage. So people really seem to be interested in that panel. And that, you know, that was just one of the many panels that we did. I don't know if uh, Jamie, you want to jump in there and say anything you took away from the cannabis panel.
2: Yeah, I think it was really interesting um, talking about what an opportunity this was for the industry and how uh, retailers aren't really jumping on it. One thing that stuck out to me was just how bad dispensaries are kind of handling Mm. the CBD beverage side of things. I know Paul was saying that it's really just a different marketplace. Um, The audience is much different. Someone who's going to a dispensary is not particularly someone who is interested in CBD beverages. So there's not a lot of kind of pull for those dispensaries to get in products that would appeal to just the average consumer. And they're also much heavier. So a high price for something that might not turn around as big of a profit. So that was that was cool, but um, definitely seems like a big opportunity for retailers to kind of jump in on. Yeah,
0: it. we didn't talk about any cannabis stuff around the on premise side. But in terms of legal things, we had Hannah Becker speak. I think she might have talked at Bark too. And I think um, she did. Yeah. She's a lawyer with, I forget the law firm, but they do beverage alcohol um, stuff. And I sat in on that one and I was kind of expecting it to be really boring. No offense to her, but just putting no not no just (laughs) Just a lawyer a lawyer talking about legal stuff but she's a really a great speaker and so passionate about the industry and just really seems to love what she's doing and you know a a big topic of interest is, is the whole cocktails to go thing started it during covid and a lot of some states have taken them back and some have made it permanent so you know, it's all over the place and changing all the time, but that's obviously a a big deal for on-premise operators right now. And
1: that brings up a broader point that was made over at Bark as well. And something that the entire alcohol industry is grappling with right now is what does the post COVID world look like? We had uh, Tom Shea, who's a speaker at all of our Barks. He writes columns in our magazine. He is a, I want to say third or fourth generation, small business owner. He writes and speaks about small businesses, All the time. And he said, you know, we're not playing by the same rules anymore. The pandemic galvanized sales across all categories. But, you know, what happens when the pandemic becomes endemic, as it seems to be happening right now? You can't really fall into complacency regarding the growth that you had over the last couple of years or even some of the trends that we saw. You know, now it's the time to start thinking about what happens next.
0: Right. Because the keynote speaker we had was Cole Robillard of uh, Smokey Bones, who we had done the cover story on in the summer issue, and she, um, you know, talked a little bit more about some of the things, but one of the things that she mentioned, one of the locations they just open has a drive-through. Now, Smoky Bones is a casual dining concept with a full bar, cocktails, all that, so to commit to a drive-through really means, you know, things, the way people Eat and buy their food from on-premise operators is really changing a lot. So you know, it, it seems like so far so good with them. It's I think it's only been a few weeks, but um, to me, that's kind of a, a radical shift in service model.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, retailers are still having to play catch up a lot too, because obviously, although the pandemic may be ebbing, uh, the supply chain issues have not. Uh, really corrected uh, to the extent that we would hope so yet there's still a lot of supply chain issues which is creating a lot of out of stocks for popular skus and so this was another topic at bark is how do you handle the fact that a lot of these products are either out of stock hard to get or frankly impossible to get uh and you know it was uh made a good point it was made by uh, marty holland of the party source in kentucky said that, you know, is the time to get back to the basics. You need to impart knowledge to your staff about products so that they can try to uh, and successfully sell alternative products to customers who may be coming in looking for a product that's out of stock. If you can then take that customer and point them towards something similar, obviously that's a win. But in order to do so, you really need to know the background of that other product. You really need to be able to tell that story to the customer and convince them that that is worth their money that they're going to spend on another product. So I, I really like that point by Marty. There's time to get back to the basics. Not that it was ever time to get away from them, but really uh, double down right now on staff education of, of all the products across the store. So they know that they can get customers pointed towards alternative products if they what they come in looking for is out of stock.
0: Yeah, that was a big thing in the on-premise too, um, especially like uh, Jamie, you just wrote up the Bevex award winner profiles and we gave out a couple of awards during the Cheers Beverage Summit, but um, in doing the write-ups, you know, so many of the winners talked about staff training and how important that is. And I know Royal Caribbean in particular said that, you know, their, their guest ratings shot up in a number of areas just after you know, improving bar employee training. So, um, you know, like Kyle said, it's always a huge deal, but I think right now it's absolutely critical in this new environment.
1: Well, I was going to say another thing uh, in this environment right now, making sure you have enough products in the mix for customers. And, uh, you know, this is a pretty popular topic overall in the industry right now is the idea of single barrel whiskey picks. And I led this panel at the uh, at Bark, among the other panels I led. And, you know, one of the nice things when you go out and you buy a barrel and you get all that uh, those bottles of whiskeys, you, you now can guarantee that you have that whiskey in stock. You know, I had retailers, I don't think it was said on the panel, but I had one retailer tell me that he was just doing that and not even, he didn't even care whether it was labeled as a single barrel or not. He just wanted to make sure that he could get whiskey on the shelves. And so when he was buying the single barrel, that was one way to guarantee that he actually had products for sale. I mean, that's how bad it got at some points during the pandemic. Now, I don't think it's that bad anymore, Uh, but certainly single barrel picks allow you to uh, manage your uh, SKUs more efficiently. And they're also, again, just a great way to bring in customers because that those are such popular products right now. The consumers really have gravitated towards the single barrel whiskey picks. Uh, there, there's such a unique item, you know, in today's day and age where e- even without the pandemic, it was already hard to find a lot of their rarer whiskeys, that Buffalo trace stuff. You know, good luck trying to find an E.H. Taylor, or Elmer T. Lee these days, especially, or a Weller, especially at decent price points. You know, if you're going to find them, you're going to be paying uh, exorbitant prices. or You have to buy them out of the back room. Or you have to know somebody. But, you know, if you want to get a rare whiskey that you can find affordably and taste great, just buy a single barrel. You know, that's one of one what's more unique than something that was a single barrel never to be seen again. So I have my, uh, good friend, Steve Coombs, fellow uh, whiskey journalist, calls them, uh, unicorns that you can buy. And I, I totally agree with him.
0: Is that really a unicorn if you can find it and buy it? <laughs> well, I mean, it's still one of
1: one, you know, a unicorn means to be rare and what's rarer than something that's one of one. He, uh, I was just interviewing him yesterday for a piece I'm writing on the Kentucky bourbon festival that's coming up and they always do a ton of single barrel picks that they, um, have, uh, for attendees to purchase on site, I believe they have twenty plus this year. And Steve called single barrels a slice of time in a whiskey's life, which I absolutely loved. Um, yeah, I thought he put yeah. it very well there.
0: It's being in the on-premise too that you mm. know it's something you can have, you can only get at at, um, at that location or that particular brand, and either just straight or you know making signature cocktails with it. But I never really thought about it from the supply chain standpoint that it was a way to make sure that I you I know, had who, x amount of product in stock
1: i wish i could remember who told me that but i loved that point it's just he's, he's so desperate to get whiskey just to get the good stuff in that he was just buying single barrels just to make sure he got whiskey it may have been something like woodford reserve double oaked i can't remember which one it was or maybe even maker's Mark. He just wanted to make sure he had it on his shelf
0: yeah i'm sure so i left beverage week you managed um, to get off be- campus <laughs> I know you keep saying off campus. <laughs> <laughs> Where were we?
1: we were at the Royal Karib. How do you pronounce that? Uh, Royal, Royal Caribbean Royale. Carib
0: Royale. Thank you. Yeah, I do. Um,
1: we were next to an FFA conference and there were 8,000 kids <laughs> all dressed like they were Harry Potter wizards like no, that's descending just, upon our conference.
0: That's future Farmers of America. I
1: had to be taught that. I had never heard of them. Before. They look like the evil house from Harry Potter. Now I'm not a Harry Potter fan. Not that I dislike the books. I've just never read them, but they what? what's the, the, the quote unquote. Slytherin. Evil house? Yes. They look yeah. like they're Slytherin. Thank you.
2: Oh, uh, why Jamie's here. <laughs> Pop culture references. <laughs>
1: Top 100 went well. We were all so tired. That's the thing about running these conferences. Anybody who's ever run one who's listening yeah. knows is you're just so tired by the end. You're just kind of operating purely on adrenaline at that point. Um, but, you know, it, it, it went very well. We had a good number, probably the most amount of top 100 retailers we've ever had show up for the banquet. And they really get into it. It's a good time. We call out the winners one at a time. They get to come up on stage and take photographs with their awards. It really is a good time. I do remember I was sitting at my table and the gentleman across from me who shall remain nameless is allergic to nuts and didn't realize they were in the salad. So there was a part of me that thought I was going to have to perform CPR on somebody. Uh, but fortunately he was okay. But other than that scare (laughs) things went very, very well.
0: Yikes. So whenever I travel, I always like to get out in the market and see what's going on and no offense to Orlando, but it's not exactly known as a cocktail capital that it's probably not fair but because disney kind of overtakes anything and there's certainly a lot of innovation at the disney properties but you know it's sort of hard pressed to know where to go and there wasn't that much time so i did get out for dinner a couple nights i went to um this place called four flamingos which is uh richard blaze who is a, ce- a celebrity chef um we actually took a group uh from on premise folks there and uh and it was really good but two funny things happened not really that funny but um
1: Intro like that.
0: <laughs> okay, so they had, of course, everybody, you know, is in the business and they want to order cocktails. So the, the, the poor waiter was explaining the cocktails and they have a signature one. I think it's probably called Four Flamingos or something like that. But it has hibiscus in it. So it's like pink and pretty. And he said something like, oh, maybe nice for the ladies at the oh. table. And everyone's just groaning like, oh, really, dude? Come on. So I think a couple of the guys ordered them just for like... That's good. Just for show. And uh, it was a really it was a good cocktail. Um, The other interesting thing about it was that cocktail and another one they offered, you know, as a signature drink with booze, but also a a non-alcoholic version of that same cocktail, which um, I haven't seen too often. So I thought that was interesting. And
1: non-alcoholic drinks were something we talked about a little bit at Bark as well. We had a non-alcoholic panel with uh, Mike Moreno from Moreno's Liquors, phenomenal store out of Chicago. And Marco Salazar, who is from a new organization recently launched called the Adult Non alcoholic beverage association talking about the rise of non alcoholic and um, low proof products. Uh, Moreno had a good comment. He said the younger population is really pushing this frontier. Uh, people are looking for alternatives these days. They want to go out and be social, but they don't want to drink. You know, and I, I think part of it is just getting rid of the stigma, like you point, said right there, getting rid of the stigma of ordering something non alcoholic. I don't think anybody really judges you anymore. I think it's much the opposite. People just kind of understand that not everyone's looking to. You know, drink alcohol every time they go out.
2: That's uh, that's been my experience with it. Overall, um, most of my friends don't drink, and I am of the younger millennial, older Gen Z range. Um, and a big problem is that a lot of like the specific types of alcohol that young people still do want to drink are not available in zero proof. Um, mm. But that isn't really the case, I would say, within the past five years, Um, especially within the past year, a lot of breweries have been coming out with zero proof beer that actually does taste like beer. So that's something that has been a a pretty big cause for excitement, at least in my age demographic. Uh, And I thought that one of the comments that Mike Moreno mentioned was really interesting was that this isn't really supposed to be an either or situation. Uh, It's meant to be more of an inclusive thing where people can drink or they don't have to drink if they don't want to, rather than putting it forward as an option of saying, um, like, once you cross over this line, you can never have a drop of alcohol again.
0: Yeah, that's definitely something they're seeing in the, I, I mean, everywhere, but specific to the on-premise that, you know, maybe you're not drinking tonight or this week or whatever. And its uh, it's more of a lifestyle thing, whereas before it's like, I don't drink at all. I don't drink because I'm pregnant or I don't drink because I'm driving or I don't drink because it's dry January or whatever. It's like, there's a lot more back and forth and it's just becomes part of the lifestyle, which, you know, people have had to get their heads around.
1: Absolutely. And I, Jamie made a good point. Another good point as well, which is that craft beer or beer, or just products in general that are non-alcoholic now taste so much like their alcoholic versions. I, th- I really think the quality has come along the way in recent time. I know I bring this brewery up all the time, but, you know, for instance, take a look at Partake. I believe they're a brewery out of Ontario. I know they're from Canada. Apologies if I got the wrong province. Um, but yeah, no, they, I mean, they make the full range of craft options, non-alcoholic, every single one of them. And they all taste like their alcoholic version. It's incredible to me, the quality of these products these days.
0: Yeah. It's the same with spirits too. they are uh, no spirit spirits, I guess, you know, they're getting much better at tasting like a whiskey or tequila or gin and all that you know i think the problem is both on and off premise is the cost because they will cost almost as much as as a bottle of full proof so it's really challenging with cocktails you know what people just expect to pay considerably less for a drink with no alcohol in it and it you know it costs just as much to do but uh you still want to offer that craft cocktail experience. Melissa, how'd the BevX Awards go? They went well. We, we just, there weren't too many people there to accept in person because, of, you know, the timing and the location. But, you know, when we were able to sort of delve into why some of the, the places won their awards, it was really interesting. Some of the things that, that they were doing, like the independent award, best independent operator I forget the title, but it went to a hotel in, in New York's Hudson Valley called Troutbeck. And they they did a like women-led beverage residency, kind of like a chef's residency. But they had four different women come in for, I forget how long, but they stayed on site and did different programs and dinners. And there was uh, someone from a local cidery, a tequila person, a couple wine people. So it's just... Uh, It's always interesting to see the innovation coming from some of the independents as well as, you know, big companies like, you know, Dave and Buster's who who won a, a best overall award, you know, they, they really overhauled their whole beverage program and did a ton of research and came up with two different sort of core customers so it's just it's really heartening to see all the um, all the things that people are doing, especially like right now, where the business environment has been so challenging.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. No, that sounds great. Final question before we get going: Was I the only staff member who got into the pool?
2: Absolutely, I did not. <laughs> there, every time I walked by the pool, there were at least five hundred kids in there. So I don't, I don't know how you enjoyed was it the school. farmers. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it, it was all of the
1: little farmers. It, it was FFA infused for sure. But like Melissa said about uh, her always having to get off, uh, off campus or go out when she travels, if I see a pool, I have to get in the pool. I just can't help myself. So I did, I did find time to jump into the pool and I did even go down the water slide twice.
0: Oh, wow. Not well, just I, once. I mean, I guess it goes without saying it was like a zillion degrees, but even for Florida <laughs> in june it was exceptionally hot and humid and um right before our flight a couple of co-workers and i went to the little tq bar thing by the pool and i mean it was all wonderful except for the heat blasting on all sides and the people <laughs> probably kyle frolicking in the pool
1: <laughs> i was trying very hard to swim on the side opposite where the conference was i was like I, who's gonna see me out here you know good call <laughs>
0: All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Um, Jamie, thank you for joining us. I'm sure you'll be pulled into uh, several podcasts in the future.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) And join us next time. We're going to be talking about yet another fascinating topic that spans the retail and restaurant worlds. And that topic is going to be some of the latest technologies in alcohol, by which we mean some of the digital technologies behind e-commerce. So tune in for that. And to everybody listen to this. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers.
2: Cheers.